We're going to get it and jump into the sermon here now. And for those of you who have been away or uh, newer to Grace, checking it out, we're going through a sermon series entitled Live on Purpose and, and, and exploring how we can intentionally pursue God's purpose that he's given us, his purpose of loving relationship with him, loving him and loving others, and living that out in the nitty-gritty of our daily lives. Today's text is going to be in Hebrews. Uh, if you uh, have your Bible or Bible app, you can turn to the book of Hebrews. It's toward the latter part, the end of your Bible. Uh, and we're going to be in chapters 12, 11 and 12 there, have you follow along. In the previous weeks, we've been in the book of Proverbs. Uh, but today's going to be uh, uh, a break from that uh, in order to talk about persevering in our purpose. Many of you know uh, uh, that I ran a marathon here this past fall. I have uh, I've let, let you know repeatedly. And as Jonathan Sander told me, get ready for two years of sermon illustrations on marathon running. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to disappoint. I just, I'm not. Uh, so when, when I was uh, in the midst of the actual marathon, I was down in Kansas City, and uh, everything was going really great. The first half, the first 13 miles... Uh, went really well, and I had a, a buddy to run with, and it was just, it was fantastic. It felt really good, even though there was way more hills than what you find around here. They have real hills down there. We have, I don't know what you call them here, little inclines. Um, and uh, uh, things were going really, really well. And then I got to about mile 17, and I could feel it in my body, the, the, the energy stores depleting. You just begin to feel a kind of exhaustion setting in. And I had, I had gels, I had caffeine, I had Powerade, I had waters. Like I was juicing up to try to keep myself going. But, but, but my body couldn't con- keep up with the drain that was happening. And I could feel it. And that started to get from my body into my, my head. And there's this thing in running, many of you probably heard about it, called the wall. You're hitting the wall. And, and, and this is when your, 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 your body and your brain begin to tell you, what the heck are you doing? You can't do this. You need to stop. You need to give up. You, we, emergency lights start flashing. And you know this going in when you, because you've trained for this. And, and, and so we're pushing through, pushing through, persevering. Relying on my training. But it got worse and worse. My 19, it wasn't just the mental exhaustion, the physical exhaustion that was settling in. I started to have acute pain in my knee. Hadn't had this happen in all my training. And I was at a point of like, I don't know how to get through this. I don't know how to change how I'm running in order to avoid this kind of pain. And I'm sending, you know, our modern technology, you got my phone on me and I'm sending out texts. I need prayer. Because I'm in pain, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know how, to, how I'm going to get through this. By God's grace, I was able to find a form of fast walking that uh, didn't quite stir up the pain in my knee, and I was able to continue to go. And while I had 70-year-old men passing me, to my sh- no shame on my part, who'd done like 30 marathons in their life, and I'm doing one, 40-year-old man, in my mind and my body, everything is saying... Stop. You can't do it. Give up. My muscles started cramping up. And it was extremely difficult 
to push through. There are a lot of things that I'm going to talk about in here that, that God enabled me. It's a simple thing like a marathon, but it is so spiritual and profound in terms of applying it to my own life that I learned so many things from this experience. Just in terms of the prayer, the having the people along with me in the journey, and, and, and the, the focus on the finish line. By the time I got to mile 24, my head began to clear up, my body began to clear up, and I was able to push through to get to the finish line. Our life in pursuit of God's purpose for us. He's a glorious purpose for us. Of eternity where there's no evil. Where there is no more pain or death or disease or dying. Where all the, the, the evil and suffering in this life is gone. Because he's, he's taken it on himself on the cross. And he's paid that, the price for us for our own sin to make eternal life possible. He's got an incredible purpose for us of relationship with him. Now as well as for eternity. It's an incredible finish line. And all of us, at some point in time, we find we're facing the wall at some point. Seasons in life where circumstances outside of us or, or, or even internal resistance comes up inside of us and says, why are you doing this? Is it really worth it? I mean, we've got these, these, these immediate kinds of rewards, these immediate kinds of pleasures. Like, this is far more desirable than delaying and sacrifices and suffering for Jesus. Why are you doing this? Give up. Stop. Perseverance is necessary. And it doesn't come easy. And today we're exploring, how do we persevere? In pursuit of God's purpose for us. And that's through, as we're going to see in God's word today, faith that's fixed on Christ enables us to persevere. In spite of or despite the the resistance we experience, maybe it's internally, the obstacles we face externally, opposition in our life, failures. Well, I'm falling in the gutter. Might Might as well just give up. Faith that's fixed on Christ enables us to persevere. It's also read here. Let me just read out loud here as well in English. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance or perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before, that was before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we come to you now because we need our hearts open to your word. We need your, our hearts open to receive What you want to do in us, the liberation, the freedom you want to bring about, the empowering and equipping that you want to do, Lord Jesus. To keep us in relationship with you, to keep us in this joy that's both now and for eternity. Spirit, we need your work in us and I need you to come upon me, your sinful, broken servant, Lord. 
May your truth be proclaimed, Lord. May I get out of your way. In your name we pray. Amen. I alluded to this earlier in today's service, but the context here for the book of Hebrews, we need to know is this letter is being written to believers who were young in the faith. And they started off really passionate. But they experienced some pretty significant and severe opposition. These were people with businesses that, that had their businesses looted. And you can imagine today the, the spray painting on it of, uh, 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 of all kinds of derogatory things. And, 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 and things being broken down, broken into, and their goods stolen. There was looting. But not just that. They were discriminated against as well in the marketplace. They had been marked, if you will. And so people wouldn't even sell goods to them. You imagine going out to Walmart or Hy-Vee or Fairway and they're not going to sell to you because you're a follower of Jesus. There's physical kinds of persecution that were happening as well because they refused to bow to culture and worship Caesar as God. The pressures of following Jesus were significant. The consequences and costs were great. And they were thinking, is this really worth it? They'd hit a wall, if you will. Many of them had just kind of stalled back. And they, they sought to preserve themselves and their comfort, right? And we do that. We, we, we retreat back into our ruts. We like our ruts. They feel safe. Even if they're not good for us. Even if they don't lead us towards Jesus. We like our ruts. We're just going to retreat back there. And in this section here, he's encouraging the believers, keep on, persevere. The race isn't done. It's worth it. You can do this. And this is how. In verse 1, he says, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So let us lay aside all the weight, the sin that entangles, and let's run with endurance. He's speaking of, there, there's these witnesses, a group of people that's inspiring we're going to walk through that. We're going to take a peek at this cloud of witnesses that he refers to going back to chapter 11. We're going to walk through chapter 11 and try to do that pretty quickly here to look at this list of witnesses that are inspiring for us in our race that we run, our, our pursuit of God's purpose for us. Chapter 11, verse 1 through 3 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that it, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The author here is speaking to this piece that we all need. An understanding faith sees beyond the evidence of the moment. Oftentimes we're compelled by the urgent. We're compelled by what, what is desirable and what feels good in the moment. We're compelled by survival instincts. If it's painful, avoid it, right? He's saying faith is necessary. Faith is this gift and this tool where we see beyond what's in the moment, the desires, the pain, to be able to see purpose, to be able to see our, our finish line. Faith is seeing beyond the obstacles, opposition, emotions, and failures in our life that we experience of the immediate moment to trust in God and his faithfulness to determine our actions. Right? Too often, we let our actions in the moment be determined by our experience. 
experience is the most dangerous place to base our truth upon, to base what is true upon about ourselves or about this life. So he goes on, building on this foundation. Now we know what this faith is. We've got to be able to look beyond what's in the moment to something greater, to God's faithfulness, God's work, God's glorious purpose he has for us. He now goes through a list of different examples for us. This is, this is going to be a, a, a big overview of the Old Testament. If you've not been in the Old Testament, we're going to do a, a real big summary of the Old Testament here as quickly as we possibly can. In the beginning, some of the first uh, uh, children after Adam and Eve were Cain and Abel. By faith, in verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So in the story of Cain and Abel, Cain uh, was jealous of his brother. Abel gave honor to God, gave sacrifices to God of his first, they call it the first fruits. He gave the best of his crop to God. He sacrificed Cain, on the other hand, he kept the best for himself and gave God essentially leftovers. Cain was jealous of Abel and and his sacrifice, his heart for God, his relationship with God, and so he killed him. We're tempted in this life to to not trust that God will provide and, and that we keep the best for ourselves and we don't sacrifice for God, right? We're tempted to believe, I need to... I need to take care of me first. Rather than trusting that God is good and glorious. And whatever I sacrifice here and now in the moment for him, he's going to take care of me. He's going to provide. It goes on here. Speaking next of a person named Enoch. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see, the thing here for Enoch and his example for us was he didn't seek to please himself. He sought to please God. You see, we're tempted to get derailed off of God's purpose by by, by being lured in by the momentary pleasures of this life. I'm just going to enjoy and and indulge in whatever I want. I'm going to feed it. I'm going to give myself into whatever I desire. I'm not going to withhold anything for myself. Enoch, on the other hand, faced those desires. And so, no, God's got a better reward for me. God's got something better set up for me. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to seek to please him instead of pleasing myself. Totally, total shift in orientation. And he found that deeper pleasures were met. And in fact, Enoch is one of few people who didn't die, but was taken up to God while he was still alive. Let's look at Noah now. Verse 7. By faith, Noah... Being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in irreverent fear constructed, excuse me, in reverent fear, 
constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he, was com- he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, many of us maybe have heard probably of Noah and the ark, right? In Kentucky, there's a, there's a life-size replica of, of the ark. Any of y'all been there? I haven't been there. Any of y'all? Wow, quite a few of y'all have been to the ark experience. That's pretty awesome. We should do like a church trip out there or something like that, right? That would be super great. Noah told to build this ark. This ark is so big. So big. I, I, I should have done the research to be able to give you the size in comparison to something here in Worthington. But, but bigger than a football field. Huge. Absolutely huge. And it was dry then, okay? So Noah's building this massive boat, and it's dry. There's no water around for a boat of this size. You know, in our time and culture, God calls us to things that just don't make sense to the rest of the world, does it? Right? We're called to follow Jesus Christ. The things that we can't see in the moment. And in me, it seems absurd. I mean, all the people that, that were around mocking him for building this ridiculously massive boat and spending his time doing that. But God told him, listen, there's a judgment coming. I'm preparing you. You got to trust me. And you're going to go through all kinds of ridicule. The culture around you, there's going to be living it up. But I'm going to save you and I'm going to provide for you. Trust me. And it's going to look absurd to the world around us. And it does. That's some of the the challenges, the obstacles we face is when, when following Jesus looks really absurd to the world around us. When following Jesus is, 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 is countercultural and we're going upstream with our values and, and, and standing for what, what is truth and objective and not what, what our emotions would say is true, which, is, which we're in that context today. There is objective truth and it's good for us all, but it requires us giving up control. It requires sacrifice of ourselves, a trust in God and understanding what's best for us and our identities. Noah trusted the father in spite of the cultural opposition and the absurdity at which he looked and God saved him. Let me get to Abraham. This is a, a much larger portion of scripture here and, and a much bigger example is Abraham. You can find this beginning in Genesis 12. By faith, this is verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to a place where he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age. So she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as innumerable, innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth for people who speak 
thus make it clear that they were seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city. And by faith, when he, Abraham was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise, promises was in the act of offering, offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac would be your offspring, would be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In this long example here of Abraham, God approached Abraham, part of a different, uh, this, 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 what a seemingly random culture, time, and place in the Middle East. And he said, I'm going to choose to show the world me. I'm going to choose to show the world me through you. I'm going to bless all the nations. I'm going to start with you. And from you, I'm going to build a great nation. And he told him, you're going to get up and leave. Hundreds of miles away. Leave your country, leave your family, and I'm going to accomplish this for you. And and Abraham trusted that. There was significant sacrifices that we make uh, in in order for us to follow God and his purpose. It may be leaving behind significant, important relationships in our lives. But not only that, he made a promise, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a nation through you. They weren't even pregnant. They didn't have any children. And then it got to the point where they were really old, like old, old. Like not just 70 old. And they had no children. As it says here, he was as good as dead. How about that for being old in description? Right? Now, let's be honest. If you go back to the story of Abraham and Sarah, they didn't trust God. They, they got derailed. They got into those moments of like, God ain't going to provide. We got to do it our way. And it created problems, right? Do you, have you experienced that? When we, when we deviate from God's purpose and we're like, no, I'm going to do it my way, God. It's not, you're not happening quick enough. You're not working it out in, in my time frame, in my way. And we bring it into our own hands and then it hits the fan, right? Consequences happen. And he's saying, trust me, my time, my way. Trust me. And he provided a child. And then on top of that, God tells Abraham, take that child, because they only had one, and I want you to sacrifice that child to me. Now this is really like crazy and foreign to us. But God never intended for him to sacrifice Isaac. It was a test. You know, we're all going to be tested. And as we pursue Jesus' purpose for us and, and God's, God's design for us in this life, we're going to be tested but what, what's really important? I mean, the, the testing isn't because God is looking down on you like, oh, I think he's going to fail. No, his testing is about removing things from our heart and our life that are not healthy, that are not good for us. He's wanting to, to clean our hearts and our lives in order for us to have his joy, to have his goodness. And, and as he tested Ab- Abraham, Abraham Face that to know, God, you, I'm, I'm fixed on you. I already did it my way once, and it really sucked. Excuse me, I apologize for that. I did it my way once. I'm going to trust your way. 
And God provided a sacrifice. There was a lamb in the thicket. Abraham's example of faith is profound for us all. But it keeps going here. I'm going to keep going, rocking and rolling here. In verse 20, by faith, Isaac, son, invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. In these examples, I just want to merely point out that these, these people trusted God in, 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 in him breaking convention. It, 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 with Isaac and, and Jacob, the, the blessing that they gave was not for the conventional firstborn. It, the blessings of inheritance and to carry on the name always went to the firstborn son. But God in his wisdom said, no, I'm going to choose the secondborn in each of these cases. You need to trust me. I'm fulfilling my purpose. These sons aren't even going to be of the greatest character. One's going to be a liar and a cheat and a swindler and not a good guy. But you know what? I'm going to use him. I'm going to use him. We keep going here. By faith, verse 23, we're getting to Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to call the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked forward to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, being afraid, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not, be, might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea and the dry land by the Egyptians, and they attempted to do the same, and they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient in Jericho because she had given friendly welcome to spies. With Moses, with Moses here, again, we're faced with a situation where there was political opposition. There was cultural uh, uh, opposition and, and, and the babies, the male babies of the Israelites were being killed and, 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 and the parents of Moses saw and trusted in God for a greater plan for Moses and, 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 and preserved him and hid him. And was able to find him a home among Pharaoh's own daughter. And Moses, in faith, chose not to indulge himself in all the privileges and all the luxuries that he could have as Pharaoh's daughter's son. He chose suffering and sacrifice. Man, I want to be like that. Where I'm not allured away from God's purpose because of the indulgences and the luxuries and the riches and the pleasures of now. Did you catch that? He, he looked forward to an eternal reward rather than giving in to the fleeting pleasures of sin. We forget that, Right? The pleasure of the moment seems so convincing that it's good, but it has long-term consequences. Where the, where the delayed gratification of the moment for now 
will have long-term benefits. And it keeps going here. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute and afflicted and mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us that apart from them, they should not be made perfect. All these people persevered. Whether it was in successes or an incredible painful opposition. They persevered, not receiving, fully receiving what was promised. That's this life, friends. You see, Jesus came to start that work of salvation in us, but, but he's coming again to finish that work. We're not seeing, going to see that promise fulfilled fully right now. We're not going to see heaven on this earth. Like those before us, they persevered because they knew that what was coming was better than now. Even being sawn in two. Can you imagine? That's, that's incredibly difficult to imagine. And these people were not given like morphine. They weren't like knocked out. They were still alive. I'm sorry to create a graphic image. But here's the deal. We got to come to grips with the reality that, that, that if these people endured such suffering, it's worth it. Amen. And so the author of Hebrews, having gone through this list of all these who delayed, who set themselves aside, who faced all these, these allures and this, 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 the, the resistance and, and, and the failures even of themselves, but they persevered. He's saying, look at all these people. You're surrounded by these great, great people who've done it before you. You can do this too. You're not alone. The losses that you're, 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 you're experiencing now are not new. Others have experienced far worse even. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with endurance. The race set before us. Jesus has set out this glorious purpose of eternity with him, a relationship with the God who created us to live now in love with him and to love others, to invite others into that love that we're experiencing. This run with endurance. This run with endurance. This perseverance requires this faith we've got to see beyond. 
We've got to choose to lift our, lift our eyes and see beyond this momentary pain, this momentary pleasure. This isn't the indicator of what I should choose, of what's right or wrong. My purpose is. Look, let me remember those who've gone before me. This is one of the tools that he's saying. Remember the others. Okay, we need to mark this down. Remember, others have sacrificed. And we can look back in church history. So many who were, were given as sport and entertainment that they, were, they had animal skins tied to their bodies and they're put in the arena to let lions and leopards and animals come at them and just eat them alive while everybody cheered and laughed. Christians. Friends, we're not suffering to that extent. They considered him worthy. We need to look to these examples to remind ourselves. It's happening even now around the world in persecuted nations of Iran and China. And so he says, as we keep these people in mind, there's some things that are going to help us run. So back in that day, runners in the Greco-Roman world, they, they would, they would uh, uh, make sure that they were able to be light and swift by removing all kinds of weight and any resistance by running naked. I do not recommend that. Just be clear. Nobody should be running naked. Bad things. All right? But the idea of this back then, and in fact, uh, they did most of their, their sports in the Olympics back in that day. They did that naked to, re- again, free themselves from anything that would entangle or encumber them. Get rid of it all. There's a certain sense of that. We need to strip things down out of our lives. It's a hard thing, friends. There's things that we're holding on to, and it's like, oh, but it's not that bad. I, one of the things I constantly am fighting with with the Lord, Lord, I, I desire to just be comfortable more than I want to pursue you. If I'm going to be honest with myself, I choose too often my comfort, whatever I feel in the moment, rather than the rewards of the sacrifices for Jesus Christ. And that's in the daily grind, the little things. Whether it's that time of prayer, making sure I'm just getting the word to feed myself. The things I catch and things I watch. It's easy to just, I just want to be comfortable. Just give him a moment. We've got to strip these things away. They hold us down. That past, your past, the, the, the fact that you've, you, you've fallen short, you've failed and given up, that doesn't define you. That's the cross of Jesus Christ. He paid for you. And so he's saying, even with your past and what others been, have done to you, even with, with your own decisions, what you've done, these things shouldn't hold you back. It shouldn't weigh you down. It shouldn't keep you in the gutter. Look to Jesus. The answer, keep your eyes fixed to Jesus. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. This phrase of looking to Jesus, this means you've got, it's this, I'm going to have a singular kind of gaze on something. I need a few volunteers to help me out here. A few kiddos. I need a few kiddos. Come on up. Help me out. Come on up. Come on up, Sadie. You guys, come on up. The more the merrier. Yeah. Come, you just, just start coming. Let's, come on. Here we go. We'll see how this goes. Here we go. Come on, kiddos. Oh, wow. Okay. Any adults want to come? Here we go. Okay. Guys, I've got two signs on the walls. Can you see those signs? Yeah. 
One on that wall. Okay, let's all look on this wall over here. Okay, what's that wall? What's that? What's that sign say? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Okay, we got another sign on that wall. What does that? What does that say? Yes, it says my desires, my comfort, my shame, my past, conforming to culture. Okay, now I want you guys to look at both at the same time. Anybody, anybody able to look at both at the same time? No? Colin, you're special, bro. You are special, right? You can really only look at one at a time, right? Now, if we were, it, we're talking about the context of a race and running, okay? I'm going to tell you guys, at, on the count of three, I want you to run at both of them at the same time. Are you ready? Yeah. One. Two, no, I'm joking. No, we're not going to do that. No, we're, we're not going to do that. Can you run at both of them at the same time? No. no, you can't. And that's the same thing in our walk with Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying is we've got to focus. We can only focus on one thing at a time. So we gotta, that means we've got to turn away from other things, right? You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for helping me out. You guys rock. It's this dual purpose. We've got to strip down the things that hold us back, that entangle our lives, that weigh us down as we fix our eyes on Jesus. It's a one-way gaze on Jesus. There's an intentional kind of diligence, a kind of, a kind of spiritual sweat on our, uh, in our lives of lift your eyes up. I'm looking to the cross today. Every day we should be praying, Lord, help me keep my eyes on you. Throughout the day, we're praying that, Lord, help me keep my eyes on you. In that conflict with, our, with somebody close to us at work or a spouse or kids, Lord, help me keep my eyes on you. I'm going to get drawn in. And these pleasures and the indulgences, my just, man, I don't want to, I just, just want to sleep in or I don't want to get up early to, to be in the word or, or pray. Or, we just want to give into the busyness of our schedule and the hecticness of our lives. We just, Lord, help me keep my eyes on you. Eyes on you. You're worth it. You're worth it. And you heal me. What he says here is Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, he's the author and perfecter of our faith. It means he's the one, he's the reason for the faith, but also he's the one who is powerful for it. Friends, we need to get real with one thing. Following Jesus in our own power is impossible. If you have felt that, then you are right. We got to have Jesus in us. We got to have Jesus in us, living his life through us. And he will. He's the perfecter of our faith. As Major Ian Thomas has said, God did not just uh, send his son to get us out of earth and into heaven, but he sent his son to get heaven into us. We need the power of Jesus. And it's that daily prayer, Lord, live your life through me. I need your power in me. And finally, friends, if we're going to persevere, we look to Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Consider him who endured sinners in their hostility and did not, so that you and I might not grow weary and faint-hearted. Consider Jesus Christ. What it says is, 
It was Jesus's joy to be whipped with a whip that had bones, shards in the tail of it. That when you were whipped, it tore flesh out of your body. It didn't just strike you and leave a welt. Jesus, for joy, went into that willingly to have his body shredded. Not only that, but he went to the cross. This excruciating form of torture because Romans made it an art form to find torture devices for criminals and people that they just wanted to shame. Jesus stripped naked going through the torture of the cross. It was for joy. You get that joy was I love you. I want you. I want you to be with me. I I want you to have my power in you now so you can be with me for eternity. It was for his joy that he went to the cross. But on the cross, what's even greater, friends, is he took hell, eternal suffering, and the wrath of God for our sin. He took it all for all people in that moment on the cross for you and me for joy. It was his joy so that you and I could have joy. He's saying, consider him. When you look to Jesus, we will never suffer like Jesus suffered. But he suffered for you. It was his joy to pursue you so you could be free to pursue him. One of our senior saints here Wrapping things up here. One of our senior saints, Rena Dykstra. Um, she's not able to be with us today. She's in her 90s. But when she's here, she sits right in the back where, uh, where, where Kurt is sitting back there in the back. And uh, Rena um, shared with me last Sunday. She opened her Bible. And she has this little card. It says, my life purpose. My life purpose is to be a member of Christ's family, a model of his character, a minister of his grace, a messenger of his word, and a magnifier of his glory. I will strive to carry this out in my life with simplicity and living, helping others, sharing the word, living a life of praise and thanksgiving to God. She's had this in her Bible for over 20 years. This is just one little way that she reminded her to fix her eyes on Jesus. I can't... It is such a joy when I go visit Alvin and Rena, who in their 90s are faithful to the end. And we pray every time, Lord, help us finish well. Because for them, the finish line is so close. Lord, help me finish well. Man, to be like Rena and Alvin, who've persevered. And lived long in this life. And been faithful to Jesus Christ. Fixing their eyes on Jesus. Amidst the lures and the resistance and the opposition. There have been many in their lives. To be faithful. To run our race with endurance. We can, friends. Because of Jesus Christ. We can with faith. When we lift our eyes beyond the moment. And we look. When we look upon him. Let us. Friends, let us. Lift our eyes together with faith and look on Jesus and persevere. Amen? I have the worship team come on forward. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we are lured in so many different directions. We are faced with 
great cultural opposition right now. As always, really. We're faced with resistance internally, Lord God. And there's stuff that needs to be removed. Lord, I thank you for this season of fasting and prayer. That This, this time of fasting is, is a part of that, 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 that time to just be stripped away. To make you our focus, Lord God. To help reset our hearts and our lives. And we pray that it might be effective in that way. Lord God, help us, Jesus, to keep our eyes fixed on you. That singular gaze. That singular gaze turning away from, it's not about me. I'm not going to please myself. I'm not going to look to protect and preserve myself. I'm not going to seek my comfort. I'm not going to be ruled by my past and my shame. I'm looking to you, Jesus. I'm looking to you. Holy Spirit. Strengthen us. We need your power to do this. We know we can't do it on our own. Encourage us today, Father, as we are liberated, as we are inspired to persevere in your name.